You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Hello, Michael. Andre, Thomas is still in the background, yeah. but... So. This, this wasn't supposed to be this week's podcast. No! But, so, if people don't know how we do this, we get together once a year with Thomas Butchelder. We sit down, we try to get his history on tape. Which we didn't get this time. But we, we rocked out three podcasts because he told us that he wanted to talk to us about Burgundy. And he wanted to taste some wines with us and then he wanted to do the stump the chum and instead he dropped like one of the most anticipated biggest bombshells in the niagara wine industry and we need to get this information out to you now yeah so this is what happened on uh august 18th at the niagara studio ready andre i was born ready i know you are Okay, so we're really going to give Jesus, a we chance. Really, we've, really the, we've really killed Hold the on. swear jar with uh, the past few episodes with this gentleman. We have, but we're we're gonna we're gonna try, not necessarily to do a history thing, but he asked us off mic. He's like, you know what? I think um, I really would love to talk about Burgundy because Burgundy is really Thomas Batchelder is really part of your history, right? And where you fell in love, I think, with wine was Burgundy. But before we do that, I'm going to really quickly, because you didn't bring any uh, Burgundian wine with you, and you didn't bring any, any wine this hey, time. Hey, Thomas. It's, I did, but it's out in the car. It's coming in. Thomas, it's been a while since uh, you've had some Burgundy wines come through the LCBO. Do you got anything coming out? We have soon? five Burgundian wines arriving this week in the SAQ. In the SAQ. So we have to, I have to go to Quebec to buy your wines. But it's not a bad thing to go to Quebec, especially for such a good French speaker as yourself, Monsieur Proux. And I make, I, I, je fais l'effort. Uh, he makes an effort. If anybody understood, so I thought before. Where are we? What segment is this? We're talking about. Talk talk about you're, the one, you're the one who wanted to talk about this. This was your idea because we. No, I want to know where are we? What year are we in? But but what I thought <laughs> was uh, because we had no wine to taste, we would taste something totally off topic and then try and get you back on topic. I think we can do it. Yeah, we can do it. Okay, um, so I want to give some back text. Mary is driving in the car with some Burgundian Chardonnays from Niagara that we've never done before. And we can finish so with difficult. those. But for right now, we need to tell you that we tried to get married in Burgundy. But I digress. We tried to get married in Burgundy, but we got married in Italy. I didn't know what the hell Barola was. And all I wanted to do was get into Tuscany. And so after getting the approval from the Milano Canadese, Canadian consulate, they said to me, you're free to get married anywhere in northern Italy. And I go, well, that's great, because I've just spent a week in Venice that I can ill afford, and we're going to Tuscany to get married tonight. And they go, oh, no, you're not. And they said, because Tuscany is in southern Italy. And I'm like, I no. I like mid-Italy. I know. And I'm like, no, Tuscany is north of Rome. She, they go, no, in Provincia di Roma. And I'm like, okay, so you're telling me that the only northern Italy is, in fact, northern Italy. There's no central in northern Italy. So Emilia-Romagna is where northern Italy uh, ends for the, for the, pour les fins de marier, to, to, for the to ends of getting married, right? So I said, Mary, let's go back to Venice and get married. And we did the gondelier. And I am wearing the gondelier. Oh, you're wearing the Where's Waldo thing. shirt. We just celebrated black. our 30th anniversary. Congratulations. So, thank you. We were married when we were seven. And so and, in uh, honor of it, I don't have a Venetian wine, but I do have this wine right here. So, so if you would uh, like to give it a little taste of this sucker. Well, it suffice to say that after we got 
married in Venice in the morning. We took the gondelier ride. We both, what do you think happened in Tuscany that night? We took the train to Tuscany, and both of us drank Chianti and got laid that night. Well, of course. Well, and and not and, and the funny part is not with each other. So that's uh, that's even the funnier part. But uh, it's very Italian, uh, very French too. Uh, so, so we're we're going to be talking about Burgundy now that we've talked about talking, your. Personal, what are we drinking? The, so what I decided to pull out for you, because you wanted to, to be get married in Tuscany and you didn't. This is Ornolaya 2006 La Volta, and it is outstandingly good. And this 13. was like 30 bucks? No, at the time I bought this, this was $20. Uh, 25 It's a lot more okay, now. Okay, now. So, so it's only like 35 now, because when my, when my mom was in town um, last fall, uh, I picked up a couple bottles of La Volta for 30-some dollars, uh, because I don't drink a lot of Italian wine in my house. I think I'm... I'm sort of like you. You talked about how you've kind of focused on a few great regions. Italy's a monster I've been afraid to approach just because it's too big. I'm still working my way on knocking down my French knowledge and my well, Canadian, just, North American I'm knowledge. Big, I'm a big fan of Italian wine. I just got to tell you. I but but the, the Volta, like for 30 bucks, like, I mean, what a hell of a way to introduce my mom and, and kind of dip my toe into Tuscan wines, eh? I know. We could talk about this a long old, time. This is, this is fantastic. But let's move into Burgundy. Yeah, what do you want to tell us? What the heck I just want to tell you one thing about Italy and France, okay. because you started di- the digressions, I did. is that the two greatest wines, wine countries in the world have to be Italy and France in terms of the sheer diversity of offer and the autochton, the indigenous grape varieties. So you have to go to those two. I love, love, love Italy. But I have to give France the edge. If, and I just got back from Italy where we got married. But if only because when you go through every region of Italy and every region of France, when you get to the very, very end and you've discovered all the deep reds and all the rich whites and all the sharp whites and all the, 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 the perfume mid-reds, well, France still has Champagne, Alsace in its back pocket when you've done everything else and the rosés of Provence. Of course, Italy is always so close behind. And so it's like saying, do you prefer Niagara or Prince Edward County? And I'm, my answer is only both. How can you have an answer? 100%. Like, you know, that's, that's the absolute right answer to the question. Is, is uh, It's not that I don't like Italian wines. It's just um, coming from a journalism background, working in a newsroom, is I want to really understand something before I get into it rather than than pleading ignorance. It's not saying that when an Italian wine shows up in my house, I'm this, not happy to drink it. This is absolutely... A, it's a stunning. It's gorgeous. I All right. was not expecting that. Let's stay on topic. Burgundy. Okay. So Thomas, Burgundy. Burgundy. Let's get to Burgundy. So Burgundy is, I think... You've got 20 minutes. Go! Go. So I think Burgundy... Um, the first thought I had was I swallowed all the ideas of Burgundy <laughs> being 2,000 years old. I th- Burgundy happened... I'm getting event. nailed for thoughts now. <laughs> Thomas Did you hear swallows, that, Erica? Did you hear that? I, uh, Thomas swallows and I pay the price. I don't understand why that is, but go on. I swallowed the idea that Burgundy started 2,000 years ago and defined itself. All the great vineyards of Burgundy, some of them have only been defined since uh, 1936 when the AOCs come in. And so my point is that it takes about one generation, maybe two generations, to define a great terroir. You're killing him. You're gonna. He likes that one. No, no, it's Tuscany that's killing him. So, he should be drinking Burgundy and talking Burgundy. So the thing is this: that um, in Burgundy, what they did do is whether they did it two thousand years ago, 
1936, they defined vineyards, they gave them names, and then they put them in a hierarchy, like this is a Grand Cru vineyard, and this is a Premier Cru vineyard. So your, your single vineyard is tied to an appellation system. Here we have sub-apps, but they don't tell you within that sub-app, right? Which are good and which aren't. Yeah, and, but within 20-mile bench, they don't tell you is this a Grand Cru or Premier Cru. Or, you know, it's what the producer does. In Burgundy, it's what you're allowed to do. This is a Grand Cru appellation. Are you ready to jeez it up, or are you ready to get it right? <laughs> I, like, I like how he pays before he even says it. He's yes. like, oh, and, ready and, and to Thomas, go. if that's a swear, you're like the Ned Flanders of swearing. You're the <laughs> Ned Flanders of the wine grab world. A, grab a coin, give us a good swear word, and uh, throw I'll grab in. a coin, and I'll wait for it when I get in okay, passion. All right, okay. So, so the thing is, Burgundy, if you picture being a monk in the Clos de Vougeot, or in, uh, in Chambertin, and all these Benedictine, but mostly Cistercian months, they figure out the vineyard extremities, they make the wine, and they go, so this is the Grand Cru. But there was no Grand Cru till 36, but they were doing it 2,000, 1,000 years ago. So these Cistercian monks, they got the good stuff, and as things started to go to the growers, to the locals, the next vineyard, they go, this is just as good. This is, you know, this is... Uh, Clopru, and this one on the other side, you know, it's it's Clopincus. Well, and I doubt that ever says, but go ahead. Okay, <laughs> but Pru uh, maybe. No, but they named them after plants. They named them after the rocks in the vineyard, after the trees in the vineyard, the fruit trees, and after so, the people. So which Chamber- one, So which one of us is the plant, and which one of us is the rock? I ask you. <laughs> so Chambertin, Chambertin, that nobody can I afford anymore. I am the rock. Chambertin became, you know, the champ, the field of Monsieur Bertin, Chambertin. And so it, it, it occurred to me, a, a good, good friend of mine came to me when, st- came to Mary and, I, and, and stayed with us in Burgundy, as many people did when we were living there the first time. And they said, have you ever considered that your, uh, what you're learning at school here might be more useful to the new world uh, and to the, than to Burgundy? And I thought, oh. What a slight. I want to just live, you know, in Burgundy and be buried, like maybe in Chambon Musée. You have the French who dig their roots into you. It's, it's a thing about, yeah, about, about, about roots. Well, the thing I love about my French friends is just like the joke in North America is that the French are quick to surrender and the, the goofy laugh. But the fact of the matter She's is... She's eating surrender monkeys. And that's it. But, but the, French, <laughs> the French are so patriotic to a fault, but it's a passive-aggressive patriotism where when you're in the country... If you dare to mention something that is on par, for the most part, I mean, let's face it, bringing some great Canadian wines there with some people who are in the know, they're going to be gracious about it. But if you bring a Canadian wine to someone who's not in the know, they're going to immediately turn the nose up at it because they know that French wines are the best wines in the world. So that had worked its way into your system when someone told you about applying this French knowledge in the new world. That's right. And so I, I, I just wanted to stay in France and do. But the thing about France is when you uh, the first thing you need to know is one needs to know is if you have a sunflower field in France or a cornfield, which would be, of course, for cattle, not for humans, uh, if you have any of those fields or a colza or field or a mustard field, those have names. They all have names. So when you decide to do grapes on them and you say, I'm going to do a single vineyard, you already know that it's not going to be called Prue or, or Batch Elder or Pincus. It's going to be called L'Etoile, the star, because 
your grandparents gave you that farm called L'Etoile. And so, so that's how it starts. The, the lands are named whether or not they have grapes on them. And so they just, and since they were monocépage in Burgundy, right, single cépage, single varietal Burgundy, they, they went with, they didn't have to worry about how much, you know, Cap Franc does this need or how much Merlot to thicken out the mid palate. It was like, what does Pinot Noir do on this? So as they tried to extend the hegemony of Le Clos Vougeot or, um, or uh, Chambertin and they got to a less good lands, they eventually became Premier Cru instead of Grand Cru and Village. The monks did get it right. What they chose were the Grand Cru strip of, the, uh, uh, of their bench. And that has not changed in time. <laughs> but our we got Henry outside. I don't know if we can hear it on the podcast, but Henry's howling away in your backyard, Michael. Henry, Le Clos Saint Henri, you mean? Yep. Yep. But but so 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 when you come I'm to the a lot of weeds and grass. <laughs> so so when I'm you, sure you are, Michael. when you come Not to the weed, new world weeds. and you and you here's the thing: if you do a big uh, five hectare or let's say twelve acre plot and you plant it to forty grape varieties, you'll make you know, 40 wines, or you can do some blends, but you won't learn anything about terroir. If you plant it to one, oh my God, and you ferment it apart, you'll learn lots about that terroir. But the, the scary thing about that is you may go, oh, this was all Pinot Noir, and it should have been a Chardonnay vineyard, right? And that's mm. what pioneer days are about. But let's say you have uh, 40 acres, and <clears throat> 10 are Pinot, and 10 are Chardot, and 10 are Gamay, <clears throat> and, and, and what's another 10? Give me another 10. Pinot Gris, because we all love it so much. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Best grape variety oh, amazing. in the world. Amazing. So love it. Yeah. I hope no, you can a, hear the excitement. I hope I can't wait voice. to taste a Bachelder Pinot Gris. Yeah. So, so what happened? Like, it was like the Bachelder Ali Gauthier. So oh! When, oh! I like Ali Gauthier. But when you, have, when you have 10 rows of something, it's a varietal wine. But when you have 40 rows of something, you can't get it all into one tank. So you separate it from west to center and to east. You can do that anywhere in the world, which is what the French did. Okay, so so I, I understand like you you've talked about sort of the um, like how the French have broken down the names of places and and things like that. We're going to be tasting your Chardonnay, Chardonnays from three sites in Niagara. Do you do you think that we do have certain specific sites in the Niagara Peninsula that would be considered Grand Cru, or is that something you? want to see here that you think could help the industry like where are we going with that that's a, where are you going with that i and love I, it I, I love this I, I love andre's question but before you answer that i just i wish people had been able to see andre holding the mic like he was the lead singer in a band like coldplay well, coldplay yeah coldplay welcome in because you held it you're like all right, ladies and gentlemen, you all know why Thomas Batchelder is here. It was the funniest thing I've I've seen. No, in but a long I, but time. I think I think it's an important. Look question. at him like, like, he's, like he's like he's singing the. He's praises. got the Roger Daltrey it's, who it's, mic. It's it's really it's. But I mean, it's I think it's he has a, no idea who Roger Daltrey is. It's important that we have the subappellation system in Niagara, if anything, for the wine geeks who right. really give a crap about where your stuff comes from, but. I mean, I want you to answer my question, and then I I'll, I'll, add, I'll, add, I'll add my thoughts. Yeah, sorry, I okay, didn't so, mean to interrupt. I just, I just, but it was you, fun. So, so just, just to, just so to I make start, it simple, you, do, you, do you think there are places in Niagara that would be considered Grand Cru? Yeah, so you know I have to talk about Burgundy first. What two people, there's two towns that didn't do Grand Cru, Nuit Saint-Georges and Merceau. 
And especially Merceau, I would think won by not doing it. Like, I don't want them to win, but they won. Because everybody knows Merceau once you get into Chardonnay and you study Burgundy. But not everybody knows Chassin Montrachet or Puny Montrachet. Yet those two share Le Montrachet, arguably the greatest white wine in the world. Like, like the self-appointed Rolling Stones are the greatest rock band in the world. Which, well, well the pro- king, of, king of pop. Right. Probably not that far off. Right, right. But... So when you get to Merceau Perrier and Claude Perrier, it's damn good wine. And once I brought 11 of those home from France and poured them for the Port de Luzy Underground local tasting club and said, are these Grand Cru's? And they were 11s and 9s tasted in 15, and they all went far too young to know. But these guys and gals have a deep appreciation for older Burgundies. So I was like, I blew my wad too quickly there. You know, I was... Oh, uh, there we go. There was a very uh, Jerry Epstein, far too young to know. Uh, oh, <laughs> shut up, Michael! No, no, not not getting near that. Not getting near that. That's not getting so near getting that. deleted out. <laughs> Jesus, Michael. Okay, so what I'm trying to get to is here's the thing that you're asking about, which is I'm not sure that Merceau should have had a Grand Cru of Perrier. If they did, it might be a slightly lesser Grand Cru than some of the than Montrachet for sure, than Corton Charlemagne, but it might have been great. Do we have it here? Given that we've codified nothing, I would say that further from the lake and higher up on the bench is showing to be great. And if we just talk about Chardonnay to keep it simple, because there's more Chardonnay planted than Pinot, and you look at, as we've talked about in previous podcasts, Moira Vineyard for and then also Matiar further up the bench. Both, both from Malavoir. Both from Malavoir, and then from Taz, lower down Robin's block, and then higher up Quarry Road. Taz is all over. My daughter works for Taz, uh, Violette, but they're all over the Quarry Road. But when Robin's block is great, it's like, get on your knees. I'm humbled. Great. Same with Moira. Yes, I would agree with that. And Robin so the block. lower bench, it also is how far is the lower or upper bench from the lake? If it's a little further away, then you get more hang time. More hang time equals less quick sugar accumulation and more long minerality accumulation. So then I want to introduce one more concept, which is once you've taken that one single vineyard, like let's take our Wismer Wingfield, and you've fermented it for a number of years, and you put it in three vats, eventually it's a barrel ferment, but you, you do the debordage, which is the settling of lees in three vats, so west, center, and east. East is Niagara Falls, west is, is um, Hamilton. And so when you do it for about three or four years in a row, you realize, oh my God, the west is the thing. And so then when you get 16, 18, 20 months later, only the west and then the barrels of the west that fit best together are the ones that go into the single vineyard. Because why? Because you want Batchelder to be great? No, because you want Niagara terroir to start to sing so what i want to pour you guys in a few minutes once we've this is a very high level conversation so imagine that i've got finally and suddenly what used to be called sandstone wilms vineyard 1983 from four mile creek second line so 83 is the year it was planted 83 is the year it was planted in 2017 thank you andre and then you have in this same year wismer wingfield the furthest from the lake Harvested 10 to 20 days later, not because I'm an auteur, because it's not legal in bricks before, right? And, and then, oh, wow. And, then, and planted in? And planted in 1999. Okay. 
and then also planted in 1999 Saunders Organic Vineyard that we worked with for many years. Now, on the first level of the bench, like Le Clos Jardin, like Foxcroft, Wingfields at a level above, okay, further from the lake, but Vinelands further from the lake than Beamsville. So lower on the, on the bench and close to the lake in Beamsville versus Niagara, Four Mile Creek on second line, which one tastes the most rich, the most Californian? I don't want to use that word, but just for fast. And then remember that we separated the vineyards and we took the best side, the most mineral ageable, characterful side, and then the best four barrels. So we have four barrels of each as a terror experiment, same barrels. And these are going to be uh, available to the public? Well, I think finally we're getting our license. We're sitting, waiting for the AGCO to bless us. And Stephanie, who's an amazing person who's helped us at the AGCO, and I really hope she's listening, will give us our license soon. And Town of Lincoln will pass us. We're Here's right. a major digression. We're so stupid that we start and we open a business, and eight years after doing it, we say, maybe we should have a tasting room. Everybody else starts with first young vines of Doubtful quality so, and open. You know, but but to, be, to, be fair, to, be, to be fair, like I understand that the the scope of your experiment when when it started wouldn't have fit the parameters of any tasting room in Niagara because the mm -hmm. unfortunate thing is while we're going to be able to taste your 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 experiments in uh, in Niagara, we're still not going to be able to buy your Burgundy and your Oregon projects in this tasting room. We're gonna yeah. have to wait for those to come but through vintages. But you've got a tasting classics. room. Did, did, did that just go over everybody's head? No, no. You I, have I, a taste. Theoretically, it's a back cave. It's a back cave. It's it's back, Mike, Mike, Michael, he's got a tasting room, Michael, which is something that he hasn't had in in for seven Michael, years. Michael, I don't know if you know this, but we've already got ourselves booked to do a podcast there with the moment it's open. Oh yeah, I didn't know that either. I forgot. Okay, we you're all good. All right, but that's that's fantastic. Finally, like where yeah. where is it going to be? Do you want to do you want to tell anybody where it's going to be? It's in Beamsville. It's in the Bat Cave, which is you know Batman of the '60s. Yeah, Even no, you if can't say Bat Cave. Tell us exactly <laughs> where it is. It's between uh, Hidden Bench and uh, Legends. I mean uh, Fielding. So oh, Hidden right. Bench, right? Old Mike Weir left. Yeah. Us left. Fielding, also on the left, but so not up. so it's not the old Mike Weir. Or yeah. not the old East Dell, but it's somewhere in that vicinity. It's it? the old Walters facility. Okay. But but you bring up a very important part, Monsieur Pooh, which is this. Lifford, who's our distributor in uh, across Canada except for Quebec, they said to us, we are so hamstrung with because we can't sell, we can't do an event for your wines. And I'm like, you need your own license. And I'm like, if you import La Volte, I don't know who imports it, but if you import La Volte, this Chianti we're drinking, Toscana, you That's can do an Chianti. event. It is not Chianti. It is a no, it's a, it is a super, super Tuscan. Tuscan. It is super oh. Tuscan. But this, uh, this Marema wine, if you import it, you can do an event tomorrow at the Carlou in Toronto. But you, you can't want, do yes. that with Batchelder. No, because you are a Niagara winery who doesn't have a tasting room, and you fall through the cracks. And I'm like, so what can we do? And they said, the second you have your tasting room. So these, Lifford puts us in, you know, in in restaurants all over the province, but the second we have a tasting room, they can do an event in Toronto with our Ontario wines, then it makes sense to bring in the Burgundy and the Oregon wines, which they have in consignment, and now all three will be here or in Niagara. Or whatever. So that's a very exciting moment when we get our tasting room. When, we cannot put our French or, or our Oregon wines in our tasting room, but we can get an event permit and do it a couple times what, a year. What is, what is the time frame on this? Whoa, 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 whoa. That's, that's big. So there will be a few times a year that 
friends and and fans of the winery will be able to come down taste your full portfolio because we've tasted some really bomb single vineyard uh, Pinot from from Oregon that we can't get our hands on that haven't made their way through um, through classics haven't made their way through through vintages but we're gonna get a chance to taste and buy your wines in your tasting room that's yes very, and it's very similar to the farm right they open once a year is that's that right what you're gonna look or to the original 13th Street and the other thing yes is I that remember that the SAQ has just made you know, thank God for our cash flow. The SAQ has just made a huge purchase of all our Oregon wines and five of our Burgundian wines. So the SAQ is going to have a mini explosion at a time where Batchelder is focusing more and more on Niagara because it's happening now, right? Niagara's happening right now. So when does we're this, going to have more of these other? When um, is this? Uh, when, when is the hopeful opening of this of this room? Like one week from now. Holy, Holy j- what the j- mother. F- Hey, hey, Andre! Hey, I got mother oh, and I gotta throw something. I just want to say to my buddy Brian Smith, I'm totally clean this time. I said G's just to be in the game. And G's, I think you said counted, so I'm throwing one in too. <laughs> okay, we gotta you know wrap what? this I'm up the because I'm yeah, shocked stuff, yeah. uh, by this whole thing. Well, I guess I know what podcast is coming out next week. It's gotta be holy! Wow, that's Thomas. That's... Well, can we get down and taste these three Chardonnays? And one more thing, I want to taste you on. We had a bunch of barrels of Lowry. 84, which is young vines compared to this Wilm Chardonnay. I'm about to pour you uh, 83. And one year, just everyone who threw the cellar goes, what is that barrel? So I want to give the folks out there one idea, which is that I never understood is a tasting room can change your winemaking. Why is that? If you have a tasting room on the horizon and you're a single vineyardist, and and again, I, I underline the fact that single vineyards is not only, oh, I want to make a an expensive bottle that has more margin. It's about, can we define Niagara, Canada, while we're still alive, all of us, and working? Let's do it. Let's get down and drill into the micro things and get that Grand Cru that Andre's talking about. Well, guess what? Everybody said that one barrel of Lowry should go it alone. And so now we have Lowry and then Lowry one barrel. And that's how a tasting room changes your winemaking because you could say, I don't know if the LCBO or the SAQ or Export will ever pick this up, but in our tasting room, we should probably be able to sell 25 cases, 24 cases of Lowry one barrel of the oldest vines. So, so that's what we got coming. And you have, tonight. you have you have made mention of these wines that we are we are going to taste. Uh, unfortunately, didn't arrive in time for the podcast. So look at um, AndreWineReview.ca and MichaelPincusWineReview.com. We will have notes on those uh, on those wines. Thomas, you're in front of us. I can't believe you're still in the room. We are trying to wrap up this podcast. You dropped a bombshell on us in that podcast, and then you pipe up from the peanut gallery and say... I had to pour a bunch of Cabernet Sauvignons for you because I wanted to get them out of my cellar and in front of you. And later on, Craig McDonald, before they disappeared, and they were fabulous, Ontario Cabernet Sauvignons. And then you say... I said... uh, I, I gotta, think we're, we're opening our tasting room next week. Boo! <laughs> what the hell? So all right. Like you so it's so like you, you talk you, about you, bury the lead. Yeah, you, you've all heard this. Um, you can check AndreWineReview.ca, MichaelPinkusWineReview.com, uh, Two Guys Talking Wine on socials. We will be following this story because this is very exciting. I am thrilled. And um, the table's lifting. You can subscribe to our Patreon. Uh, support us, bringing breaking news nuggets like this to you. Uh, I'm Andre Prue from underwinerview.ca. This so rarely happens. I'm Michael Pincus from MichaelPinkusWineReview.com. You're speechless. Thomas, thank you. Yes, well, that's thank you, fun. Thomas. Yeah, well, you know, it's like... Oh, uh, shut up. <laughs>
We're, we will not be open all the time. We'll be open on appointment because there's only two of us. Oh, my God. You can't stop talking, can you? No, no, it's not. It's true. <laughs> Just, Michael, take us away. Good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes.